I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, with a burn-after reading book in his garage, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? <laughs> oh, Michael. Michael, you know what it is. It's Tuesday. Happy to be alive. How are you? It is Tuesday. I've realized that I've gotten pretty lazy in these opens and basically just take whatever you told me right before we started recording this podcast and try and regurgitate it as an intro to knock you off. But I got to wake up a little bit earlier than that in the morning to knock off Brandon Jarrell Newman. Yes, this time around, I'm, it's, it's football season, Mike. I don't know what version of you guys you think you're used to hearing, but it's going to be a new me. Maybe some people call it a, a new man. <laughs> I mean, you were very training camp new man the other day as you peed in a bottle in your garage right before we started recording. See, so Why are you doing that? I'm feeling confident. That's fine. Let's keep the confidence rolling because we have an awesome show today. We are very excited. Uh, college football preview season rolls along. We are getting near the end. This will be our last Power 5 conference of the preseason as we are in week zero of college football season, which buys us a little leeway in how we go about doing this. Absolutely. You know, things randomly playing from your computer, but, uh, you know, people are just excited to hear uh, from the, about the Pac-12. Things randomly playing from my computer. We talk about being in midseason form, and we are liars. Thankfully, we are still technically in preseason. We have that leeway because it's just week zero in college football, which means we will have the Pac-12 preview today with Dan Rubenstein from the Solid Verbal, one of the best college football podcasts on the internet. Him and Ty Hildebrandt do a phenomenal job. You guys can check out. They are going back on the road. They are doing a live tour this fall with some great stops. Check out verballers.com. They are one of my go-tos for getting ready for college football season. They've got some great previews, and we're lucky to have Dan around here to take a look at the Pac-12, who certainly had some things change right in its backyard this offseason. They've seen part of their landscape become Big Ten country. So we'll explore all that, get you favorites and everything else that you're going to need for this upcoming football season. We will have the group of five next week. 
try and figure out if there's another Cincinnati laying in wait, if Cincinnati can still be Cincinnati after okay. Desmond Ritter heads to the NFL in his storied college career comes to a close. We've got all that. We've got NFL division previews that will also roll along this week. We've got the Easts, the AFC and NFC East this week as we round that out heading into the final preseason weekend for all the NFL teams. So lots on the very serious football front that we're looking forward to. We've also got our top five, bottom five today from the NFL preseason weekend that was getting the reps. Got a lot to work off. More punting propaganda has found its way into the conversation. But Brandon, before we get to that, I had a weird thing happen to me the other day where we talked about, I think, adulthood feelings that creep in. I was excited to go to the grocery store. I take great pride in doing things like properly booking doctor's appointments. You had that said same phenomenon happen not too long ago. But I had another realization that as I've gone forward, I'm doing a little bit of self-scout right now on how I adult. And one of the things that caught me a little off guard the other day was when I went and realized I needed toothpaste and a couple of other toiletry items. And so I did what I usually do. I just popped into CVS and started perusing the aisles. And as I looked up and down at all the different toothpaste that were available, I realized I have no discernible system for picking a toothpaste. I don't know what in any toothpaste is different or discernibly better one over the other, and that I have been my entire life picking toothpaste like I used to pick pre-workout, which is almost solely based on the quality of the packaging on the outside and the amount of buzzwords it throws at me. And I wasn't sure if I was alone in this. I threw it out to the timeline and got a little backup, but I just realized that as much as I feel like dental hygiene is important to me. I have no idea what I'm doing with the brush in my hand when it comes to that stuff. Now, how, how long are you brushing every time? I mean, I try and do the thing where I aim for like, what is it like between like a minute, a minute and a half type thing. Overall, I do the circular motions. I used to have the electric brush. My old one conked out. I need to get a new one. So I'm just going with the basic level garden variety toothbrush right now. And I don't do the thing anymore where I rinse my mouth out. That was a little boy shit. Now I go do that and just spit it out and let the toothpaste sit on there because that's actually what it's for. Whoa, you don't rinse your like what wait a minute, what? No, you're not supposed to rinse your mouth out. That defeats a lot of the purpose of actually throwing that stuff on there. Okay, we have another conversation to have. I don't actually I don't want to talk about this. Because I want to talk about the fact that you are still shopping for toothpaste at CVS. My boy, you are buying taxed, taxing toothpaste. It's like buying toothpaste at the damn gas station. Yeah, listen, it's probably not the smartest thing in the world, but I was out. There was one right by me, and I knew they sold toothpaste there. And so I just went with it. The other day, I tried that bougie grocery store. I wasn't going to buy toothpaste made with hemp and shit. So this is where I was. I was in dire need. I don't... Yeah, I, I... I, I can't do charcoal. There's just a mental block that I have of going Charcoal's that nice. step too far. I'll tell you what. Now, what you need is a nice cavity protector. All the other whitening stuff is is here or there. Uh, the, the the real whitening stuff where you uh, use a one and then a two. I think Crest has that. And it's just like the whitening gel on top of that. You can only do that once every six months. Um, but you don't really need I would say stick with your standard... Uh, cavity anti-cavity protection whatever you want fluoride taste you know I think I say maybe a little strip of charcoal I think that really does help a little bit really getting the teeth but I've also been uh, washing out all the work immediately after I brushed my teeth uh, since I've you know my entire life so who do what do I know 
We've both we've both learned something today. This is an exchange of good goods and information at Gojo Show on Twitter. Download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are anyone with a background in dentistry or has a sibling or a spouse who works in the dental field and you can recommend a specific toothpaste, I don't want the ones because 9 out of 10 dentists recommend pretty much every toothpaste. I want to know what your one dentist in your life recommends. I've been duped by volume for too long. I need to make this more personal. And I will attempt to do that, Brandon. Just stay away from Aquafresh. I don't know if you remember that that, that trash toothpaste, but it's basically the Zebra brand gum in a, in, in a toothpaste form. Can't be trusted. Can't be trusted, Brandon, because you know what? We believe in quality, even if it comes at an affordable price, which is also why this is a podcast that supports Knock Around Sunglasses. And Knock hey. Around Sunglasses supports us, and we greatly appreciate that. They've been awesome partners. I've seen a lot of people tweeting their knockarounds at us. Very excited about that. Keep them coming. You all look fantastic. You're going to kill it at your Labor Day weekend barbecue. You're going to look fantastic. Everyone's going to give you compliments. It's going to be great. And that's the exciting part about Knock Around Sunglasses is you can look great and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. $30 per pair for polarized sunglasses is about what these run. You've got a ton of variety, custom options for the front arms, lenses, logo color, and more. There's 15 different frames you can choose from. You've got over a billion possible color combinations, and they're great function. I talk all the time. They've got that little rubber slip on the nose so that when I go out and try and I'm, again, working on fitness, it's pre-football season, we're in training camp, unfazed, does not move, Eyes are locked in and protected from the sun. It's awesome stuff. They are lightweight with great clarity. And they're going to be the sunglasses that have you looking good all summer long. And right now, Knockaround's high-quality polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price are going to get even better. Because for our listeners here at the podcast, you can get an extra 20% off your order by going to knockaround.com and entering the code GOJO at checkout for 20% off. Again, promo code GOJO at at checkout for 20% off your knockaround sunglasses, polarized shades at a great affordable price. Mike, now, do you see other people jogging with sunglasses on? Oh, yeah. All the really? serious runners, the ones that are out there with like the little packs, like they're actually training for a marathon, yes. they run with things, or like yeah. a water bottle. I haven't gotten to that point. I just chugged mine like a camel before. So all those people have sunglasses on while they run down by the strand. It's sunny out. I, I I still I wouldn't I would have never imagined I've never done it before I think I have a lot of vibration going on when I hit the ground it kind of like jostles everything including uh, my a, face but I, I know I know I know knock around gla- sunglasses are coming my way so it's gonna be the first thing I do y'all gonna see me running around in some knock arounds yeah Brandon and my father's cries for sunglasses were heard and will be addressed in a subsequent pos- podcast but. In the meantime, while we're waiting for those to arrive, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to give you the Pac-12 football preview in part one of our podcast. We've been going with more of the part one, part two lately because we've got some longer podcasts, and we want to give it to you guys in a form that feels good and easy to digest. So in part one, we will have this Pac-12 football preview with Dan Rubenstein of Solid Verbal. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. 
Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. God love it. I don't know why every network... And I guess I know why, because ultimately it doesn't make a difference. Either the content is good or not. But like with everybody, with so many people at home or doing like remote stuff, why isn't there just like somebody who goes into everybody's house and makes right. them look good? Yes. It was it was one of those things that I remember when we were switching to that ESPN mm-hmm. initially did. And then uh, as we got further along to more and more people doing that, there's like, and just, you know, you're going to do the thing. Yeah. yeah. Just throw up a ring light. Do it like the TikTok we kids. Get, we got yep. so used to, in 2020, we got so used to this shitty video. Like, mm-hmm. we were just looking at our phones <laughs> all the time. It was just so bad. It was like, it was like at that point in time, bad on, like, uh, Kelly and, and Ryan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, people were still figuring it out. Yeah. I was like, well, Jimmy Fallon's in a basement or in an attic, so maybe you can be, too. That's fine. <laughs> right. It's good enough. You think you're better than Jimmy Fallon? I got news mm-hmm. for you, friend. Yep. And uh, it's it's the, the people who look the best, weirdly enough, are YouTubers who are doing nothing. They're just yep. like weirdly obsessed with production value, but like you don't know exactly what the, why they're filming or what the subject matter is. They're just like turning a camera on and yelling about people in their comments. And you're like, this needed to be in 4K? This needed to be immaculately lit? At least we have a show about something. We're, we're wrong yes. about college football, but at least it's a thing. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just funny. Um, uh. Okay. I have, you tell me when, check, check, check. I have waveforms. I have local. Yep. We are Um, good on my end. Good on my end. Brandon. I'm in focus. I am crystal clear, beautiful, ready to go. Do you hear this? Do you hear the Home Depot music? Yeah. (laughs) I have a soundboard. Oh, my God. (laughs) Do you hear this? We just just recently got us. The need to start DIYing. Oh my god, the roadcaster is so alive. Yeah, there's Mr. Krabs. While we're while we're sitting over here with this stuff. Look, I can barely okay. I can't even get it on cue. I can't even get it on cue. I'm I'm that doing was, something was, so basic. What a what a dramatic dis like disappointment that was. I was so prepared for you to throw up something Bro. and instead I know, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting here looking at the little wheel spinning at me. So, you know, it's probably going to go I can't whenever wait. we decide to go live. This is going to be great. That's how we coax it out here is we'll get this podcast started. And as soon as yeah. I introduce Dan, it will then railroad us. So this uh-huh. is perfect. Of course. Yeah, I've got Ryan Gosling. Object to the test. <laughs> is that your favorite one? Do you have a it's, favorite? Yeah. I, when I, I, this is what, how broken my brain is now. Whenever I watch something, I think to myself, could that be a drop? Could that mm. be a drop? Mm, and. Yeah. I was watching YouTube yesterday morning, and there were it was stories about Bill Murray, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna watch uh, scenes from Kingpin," and then I don't know if you've seen Kingpin, the old yes, like bowling, absolutely. yeah. Well, he does like a commercial with single moms, and at one point he like takes a snap and he like like slaps the skirt, or whatever, and he goes Tennessee. Kentucky! 
And I was like, I'm pulling that for Tennessee Kentucky week. Of course I am. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that man, is equal parts great. college football brain and yeah. also like broken audio meets internet brain. Hey, you got a laugh track. Yeah, you got <laughs> a studio audience. <laughs> was that was that the one you queued up, Brandon? Yeah, that's that's within Riverside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. See, <laughs> see, we're all nervous about it. Is this oh, a part of the podcast? I should be. <laughs> hey. It can be whatever you want it to. It's your show. It, it's not it might, Go Joe it Dan. It might be now. That is that is the beautiful thing about this. But uh for anyone that's picking it up at that point, if this is the point where it's already started <laughs> here, the dulcet tones you hear as our college football conference previews roll along. We are nearing the end of the road. We've got the Pac-12. We're going to have the group of five next week. We feel like we've covered enough Notre Dame for everyone and their mom over the last few months <laughs> that we can count that one already. But to help us out as we venture out to what I think we can accurately describe as this offseason's maybe not title character, but best supporting actor in the off-season like shuffling of college football programs. For help on that one, Dan Rubenstein. You know him as one of the co-hosts of The Solid Verbal, uh, wherever you guys get your podcasts. One of the best college football podcasts that there is. If you want to learn more about them, verballers.com. Dan, you've guys got the live show going back on the road this yes. fall, which is very exciting. Some pretty great stops on that trip. Yeah, no, we're doing, as we record this, we have Chicago this coming week. We have Atlanta the night before the SEC championship game, New York in the middle of the season, and L.A. a couple nights before the national championship game. So, yeah, we're we're out there. We're having a great time, and I'm just locked in my content bunker ready for the season now. Well, speaking about being locked in your content bunker, you have, you told me you're from Southern Cal originally, and mm -hmm. now you're in Chicago. It kind of seems like the uh, – USC, the conference is kind of Pac-12 is kind of inching towards your way. How do you feel I about know. that? I was, I was getting a haircut in Evanston, the new heartbeat of the Big Ten, when the <laughs> USC UCLA news broke, and I was scared to get out of my car. There was pandemonium in the streets. No, uh, nobody cared, and there was there was nothing going on. <laughs> Just like most of the time. And I I really like Evanston. I, I try to get there as often as possible. And Ryan Field seems quaint or whatever. It's just a funny fit, having grown up in Southern California, knowing that these teams and parents of kids, you know, parents of kids from Orange County, from Palo Alto, from Phoenix, are going to be told, do you, want, do you want to come to State College? Do you want to come to West Lafayette? Do you want to go to Minneapolis in November? And... It's different. It's new. And I expect schools like Oregon and Washington, even though they're not in the warmest places, to say, hey, recruit, you want to stay on the West Coast and have your parents come to all of your games really easily? It's it's as a soft Southern California who's now been through two and a half Chicago winters. It's an adjustment. It's mm. an adjustment. And I think that was where most of us went. I did the reverse that it's wonderful now that twice a year kids in New Jersey and mm -hmm. Evanston, Illinois will now get a chance to head out to Southern California and enjoy sunshine in November, which we all know is a rarity in most of these Big Ten parts. But Dan, I mean, that was the dominant story of this offseason. It's why I feel like most of the on-field college football talk has just been getting going in the last few weeks because we've been so focused on the Big Ten's new media rights deal, what that means for the Pac-12 and we know we've heard you mentioned Oregon and UW were two of the teams that people flirted with as we come off of this offseason with unparalleled volatility and movement in the sport where does the Pac-12 now sit in the pecking order as we march into a very different college football future 
not in a great place. And I think part of that is their own doing. And part of that is just the way of the world and the way that the universe is trending where the money is. The money is in the Midwest and the South. And to a lesser extent, the East Coast and the, you know, the Plains and the West Coast. And I, I honestly don't know. I think the Pac-12 or Pac-10 or whatever it's going to be in a couple of years, they're in, at least in an interesting place because we're now all forced to like put on our inner TV executive hat and say, well, the Pac-12, Pac-10 can play a super late night game and it's not competing against anybody. If you're playing at 1030 Eastern, you're not competing against the ACC or the SEC and you're kind of maybe competing against the Big Ten a little bit, but not really because I'm assuming that a lot of those uh, USC and UCLA games are going to be earlier on in the day because at least early on when they join the conference, everybody's going to want to see them. Everybody's going to want to, you know, the big noon Saturday is going to, you know, originate out of LA. I think Fox is basically run by 17 different USC alums. So we're going to see USC, especially being, being put in a, uh, a terrific TV position. And that, whether that's prime time on the West coast or whether that's earlier on in the day against, you know, Ohio state or Wisconsin or whatever, the pack, 10, 12, at least has that late window, which if, if we're competing, if we're looking at this as a PAC or PAC 10, whatever, Big 12 competition as the Big 12 grows, but doesn't necessarily have a school on the level of Oregon nationally or uh, what Utah is, I think, on the field right now, it'll be fascinating to see. I have no idea what happens. We saw a report this morning that Oregon is sort of kicking tires as best as it can with the Big 10. Honestly, and I, I'm I'm not an unbiased observer, but it's all kind of a bummer to me. And it's I, I think it runs counter to the spirit of why I think a lot of us like the sport. But my feelings don't matter because this is a bottom line year and this is what we're all dealing with. It certainly felt like that. I think that's probably the sentiment of a lot of people that have grown up around and loving college football is the sport's getting ready to look very different and it's moving in a direction that's decidedly opposite of like a regional beauty that this sport used to be when it was firing on all cylinders. That being said, part of this is also getting what we asked for in the early going because we always said as the national media kind of assessed what was going on in the Pac-12 you needed the rising tide to sort of lift all ships. And most of those arrows pointed to Southern California. We got the answer. The first big seismic coaching move of the offseason was Lincoln Riley heading to Southern California. They've been super active in the transfer portal at quarterback, at receiver. Dan, I guess my question to start off, because they're clearly the story in this conference, is with all that news, are they a deserving favorite because most betting sources and most odd sites, DraftKings included, have them as the favorite to win the Pac-12 in year one of Lincoln Riley. No, I don't think they're a deserving favorite, but I think they're deserving of being the betting favorite because the goal of all of those places is to drum up action. It's the same reason why more people bet on the Lakers in the offseason to do whatever, to go to the playoffs, to win the NBA championship because there's just more enthusiasm in big places around their teams. And so I appreciate that, and I understand the reason why, but there's just so much more about Utah right now that I think I can bank on, just what they look like in the trenches. And what Lincoln Riley did at USC is kind of show-stopping with what he did in the portal, especially when you look at offensive skill positions, pulling Travis Dye in from Southern California, from Oregon, and then, of course, Mario Williams and Jordan Addison from their respective schools that Caleb Williams specifically, if the offensive line, you know, I, I saw PFF grades were really good, but I have no idea how they grade out players. So I watched, 
you know, the last two or three USC offensive lines have talented guys, but not protect quarterbacks. Keaton Slovis sort of running for his life. So we'll see on the offensive line. But if Caleb Williams is getting passes off, USC is going to score 45 a game. Now the question is, can USC's defense, which decidedly does not have the star power that we saw from USC in years past, or that Oregon currently has, or Utah currently has, to me, can they keep teams under 45 points? Because I think we're going to see a lot of 41-38s on, on this USC schedule, uh, but I don't know how many times they're scoring the 41. I think they're a really good team. I just, when I hear about USC in playoff conversations, when I hear about USC in conference championship conversations, to me it's, who are the disruptors in the front of this defense? Who who are the lockdown corners? Who are the ball-hawking safeties? Because it's great to have these excellent receivers, but I worry a little bit that we're looking at 2014 TCU Baylor and having to sort of survive a little bit too much, and it feels more 9-3, 10-2 with that kind of uh, construction than real serious talk this year. But isn't, isn't – Would they be – yeah. Well, I just, you're talking about betting and going where the action is, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're blue bloods because obviously we went to Notre Dame and this may be blasphemous from a Notre Dame guy, but I'm excited for college football, not just the Pac-12, Pac-10, college football in general because USC has the capability of putting up 41 points. So, like, does it really matter what happens this year narrative-wise going into going into uh, when they make that transfer into the Big Ten? Or is this one just kind of like a throwaway fun year and sees what happens? No, this is huge for USC because – because of the headlines that dominated the offseason with Lincoln Riley's hiring, with a splash hire, with splash transfers, with USC trying to assume the role of the counterbalance, the West Coast counterbalance that they were in the early 2000s, they can't be disappointing this year. You, it's, it's very easy to lose track of West Coast teams if they're disappointing early on. We've seen it year in and year out that a team loses something early on and still goes 10 and 2, 11 and 1, but we'd see the attention sort of drift back to the south, back towards the Midwest. And so USC, if they're going to get to that place, they need to do it really quickly. They are recruiting like they want to do it this year. And the, and the guys that they brought over from Oklahoma and the offensive skill talent and the way Lincoln Riley has attempted to hit the portal, whether or not it's realistic to do this long term, is a different conversation. You know, it's one of those things where it's very easy to say college football is better when USC is awesome. But what I think gets lost a little bit in that conversation is, what if Pete Carroll was just awesome? Mm. What if in a vacuum, this Super Bowl winning head coach that <laughs> fell into the laps accidentally of the USC administration who tried to hire Mike Blotty and Mike Riley and all these other guys ahead of Pete Carroll... What if he was the perfect dude at the perfect time for the perfect school and we just assume that anybody else can be Pete, Pete Carroll-ish? That's what, that's what concerns me, especially when you look at where line talent is, is centered. And it's not on the West Coast, that it's gotten worse on the West Coast. I think there was an athletic piece today that Oregon has to recruit nationally. And then when USC was USC... They were dominating in Texas and in Florida and New Jersey and Tennessee and all these guys bringing up Leonard Williams from Florida. Like there were guys on the West Coast and USC locked all those guys up. But I just think it's very difficult to say USC is USC and we just need it to happen again because it's just we're now talking about what, 17 years since 2005. It's been a minute. 
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And with some pretty significant gaps in recruiting at the highest level during the Clay Helton era mm-hmm. that we know can, in this day and age with the portal, one-time transfer rules, all the things that have happened in addition to NIL, it's all changed so much that all of those setbacks feel much more monumental to go along with that natural shift in talent beds that we've usually always given Southern California the benefit of the doubt with. And certainly, you're right, USC traditionally, when it's been humming, has produced some of the best offensive linemen in college football history. Very, you know, incredible pros coming off the backs of that. So there's a lot of pressure on that team, you're right, to go out there and accomplish this year one. This is a conference with a few other new first-time head coaches in it as well. So if we put USC aside for a second and we look at Dan Lanning at Oregon, Jack Dickert at Washington State, uh, Kalen DeBoer at uh, UW, is there another one of those coaches that you actually think is primed to have success in year one at the helm for their program? I think Dan Lanning is in a nice place because of the depth on defense. They hit the portal hard up front on defense and succeeded in a way that USC didn't. Um, Washington State's interesting to me because they're kind of just a wild card. We'll see where they, where they end up at quarterback with Cameron Ward, uh, the trans, the FCS transfer from Incarnate Word in Texas. So there's no expectations. It's all gravy for Wazoo right now. UW, Kalen DeBoer has the experience. Kalen DeBoer comes in with success with, I guess, a former UW quarterback and Jake Hayner. And you're still seeing guys from the tail end of the Chris Peterson era. So it's a talented enough roster where there should be some expectations of UW. I think there are expectations, reasonable expectations that Kalen DeBoer take this team to a bowl once more and have this team look organized in a way that they didn't with Jimmy Lake and John Donovan, especially on offense. So I I think Kalen DeBoer is that guy. I don't know if, I, I don't think he has a playoff ceiling in the way Chris Peterson did because he's, Chris Peterson's one of the best coaches of the last 20 years in the sport. Um, but I think he will rise to the occasion. I think the the seasoning that he has makes it interesting for, for UW to be good, but probably not great in the medium term. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And it's a departure from what we had. And I think that's always interesting where you go identity-wise with the next head coach that walks in the door. Because you mentioned the strengths for Oregon. Dan Lanning comes in off the heels of Mario Cristobal, who while he wasn't a defensive-minded head coach, 
Spiritually, it might as well have been the same. He wanted to grind the dirt out of the ball. They were going to live with the talent on defense. And now you bring Dan Lanning over a year removed from the space alien, maybe greatest defense we've ever seen in Georgia to a team that's going to be built largely the same. And I do wonder for Oregon fans, as you're looking at this, and maybe some people still dreaming of those Chip Kelly offenses of old, what exactly this looks like now that you've got another defensive-minded guy or someone who's going to operate in that way at the helm as head coach, too. Well, Dan Lanning and the Oregon administration spent a ton of money on an offensive coordinator to pull Kenny Dillingham away from Florida State. They bring in Bo Nix. They hit the portal reasonably hard on both sides of the ball. They bring in a couple of running backs. What I expect from this Oregon team is sort of a faster, more spread out version of what Georgia did last year in that they were depending on the run. They took shots downfield, but it wasn't an overtly complicated passing offense. I don't think we're going to see Bo Nix going through four progressions, hitting tight ends in the seam or whatever. He'll take some shots downfield. Oregon has a ton of interesting talent and speed at running back and at wide receiver, and they're pretty deep at tight end. I just don't think we're going to see innovation in the way that Oregon fans are have come to expect at least from the you know the tail end of Mike Bellotti and the Chip Kelly era it's not going to be as basham as the Mario Cristobal era and just running pistol inside zone all the time I think there's going to be a lot of the 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 usage of running backs I think it's going to be a running team with some opportunities and play action that the offense is going to be there not to serve the defense but I don't think it's going to be flashy I don't think it's going to be lightning fast. I think if you look at what Kenny Dillingham, uh, and I think he crossed over with Dan Lanning at Memphis, it's going to be a lot of stretch runs, a lot of rotating running backs in and out, and finding the opportunities to take shots but not be a shot team necessarily. What you mentioned about the identity is fascinating to me because I talk a lot in this podcast about the Dragon Ball universe where fusion is a popular technique. (laughs) And when two parties come together, it's always interesting to see which personality tends to dominate there. And if you are Oregon on offense, talking about what you just described, about sort of serving the defense and operating with that, is that going to affect Bo Nix more? Or is Bo Nix and what we know of him as a chaos agent who got introduced to the world stage in Auburn's game against Oregon going to infect that offense with, I think, what Bo Nix has always been, an incredibly entertaining quarterback capable of making some game-changing plays and also doing some of the wildest things possible that at times subvert winning efforts. So that is a mixture I'm fascinated to watch because Bo Nix is, in my mind, peak college football. Sure, He is what this sport at that position can often be about. There doesn't seem to be a bright NFL future there, but there is a lot to like on Saturdays because he is, if nothing else, entertaining. And that's usually all I ask of this sport. Yeah, I think what we're getting this year is hope from the fan base that Oregon will at least be fun and interesting on offense, which I think there was hope that under Joe Moorhead, they would be more. But it, it certainly seemed from afar that this was the Mario Cristobal offense that Joe Moorhead was running. And so... That, that, that's always been an expectation. You go back to, you know, Jeff Tedford in the early 2000s, then, of course, Chip Kelly, even Gary Croton for a minute, that Oregon has been fun on offense. And so I think what Oregon is aiming for with regard to Bo Nix is if he was a 50-50 quarterback these last three years, I think they're hoping for 63-37. I think they're hoping that the best of Bo Nix that we saw last year under Mike Bobo, who has developed some good quarterbacks, is more of an awareness and more of what he looked like against Arkansas, stepping in confidently and throwing downfield. What we saw against Ole Miss or Mississippi State, at least in the first half. 
the good Bo Nix we saw last year was an evolved Bo Nix. The problem is the Texas A&M game. The problem is the Georgia game that, and look, I don't think Oregon has a, a Texas A&M on their schedule, but they most certainly have a Georgia on their schedule week one. So it is basically, is Bo Nix somebody who can continue to be more often than not pretty good and somebody who limits the, oh no, I'm being sacked. What if I just throw it up in the air as I fall to the ground? Less of that version. And so the Pac-12 defenses are not going to be as scary as what he has faced these last three years. But I would challenge you to look back through the recent history of college football and say, which wild card quarterback who started for two or three years became dependable his senior mm. year, right? <laughs> that's what it, that's what's challenging, that we just have to appreciate the good as college football fans, not necessarily focused on what he isn't. I say that hopefully, but the season hasn't begun. Yeah, we'll see if there's any capable, like, Jay Cutler taming of the wild stallion right. like we saw in Chicago and, like, that got Adam Gase a couple of NFL coaching jobs mm -hmm. after the fact on that. But um, it, it, what we've talked about here already is kind of spilled over into a conversation I wanted to have because looking through the Pac-12 at the start of this season – it's a really interesting bunch of quarterback rooms in this league between transfers within the league, guys coming from outside, guys that have been around here for a while. We mentioned already Bo Nix and Caleb Williams. You mentioned Cameron Ward at Washington State, Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA, Tanner McKee at Stanford, Michael Penix Jr. coming over from IU, the fine folks at home field, cover your eyes and avert your ears, <laughs> Emory Jones at ASU. If, as you look around this league, is there a quarterback situation that you're most interested in heading into 2022? Yeah, I mean, the, the wild card element is with Cameron Ward at Wazoo, and I we don't see it all that often that a quarterback makes that jump. We saw it at Oregon with Vernon Adams. We saw it last year on a smaller level with uh, Bailey Zappi at WKU coming in from Houston Baptist, but that's Conference USA defense. It's a great offense for the, for the Hilltoppers, but we don't see it all that often. That it's just It can be too dramatic a jump. Defenses can get too fast. I think, are things falling down behind One me? Panel. Panels are falling down. something did just yeah. fall down. My studio it. is falling apart as I'm talking about quarterbacks making the jump, <laughs> so I don't know what that means. Look into it what you will. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think there's – I saw NFL talk about Tanner McKee at Stanford, and that's always fascinating to me that you're trying to project out a quarterback who has not had a ton of success but has the measurables, right, that has, you know, the live arm that's playing in the quote-unquote traditional pro-style system. I I guess Arizona's the answer to me in terms of a pure wild-card intrigue for me because of Jed Fish's background as a quarterback teacher, Jaden DeLora having played in the conference – and having two of the more interesting receiving options, I mean, namely T-Mac, Teratoa McMillan. That is a name that he is the next great receiver on a not-so-good team. If you're going to look at around the landscape of college football, this kid from Southern California committed to Oregon, but his high school quarterback went to Arizona. He's a true freshman. And, like, the first day of spring camp, there were reports, oh, he just made four one-handed catches. Like, there are guys like that at Arizona, and when you watch them last year, and they could only win three or four games this year, two, three games, whatever it is, I think they're going to be entertaining, and they're going to be one of those teams that you watch and say, I get what they're going for. They don't have the dudes, but I understand the vision. I understand the identity. So that to me is fascinating, is how many teams can they catch sleeping? Because 
elsewhere, I mean, look, Cam Rising's a really good quarterback. We know about Cam Rising. We know that he's going to be good for a team that should or should be in the running for a Pac-12 championship. And I just, there, there's so much that's sort of like, we know what Emory Jones is. We know what DTR is at UCLA. And there's mostly good, but some bad with him. Uh, Cal hasn't been able to fill, figure out quarterback these last few years. Um, I, I have a sense for either Dylan Morris or Michael Penix at Washington. So Arizona to me is fascinating. And I guess Stanford, if Tanner McKee is really capital T that guy. Yeah, I think Davis Mills going out in year one in the NFL and having the kind of success he did really gave people the ability to just look and do the copycat thing right back behind right. him here. It's like someone passing you back a ticket at a concert to try and get you through here. So Tanner McKee, any future earnings, send them to Davis Mills. <laughs> I want to speak about this, uh, and I think I might be being – uh, I might be being paranoid or wanting to see something that's not there. But back in the day, these individual conferences had specific styles of play. And it was like, oh, what happens in the yeah. Big Ten? You can't see that in the SEC. And the Big 12 runs things differently than they do uh, over there in the Pac-12. With this transfer portal and to see someone like Caleb Williams playing for USC, I, I guess it, it seems like with the transfer portal, we're getting a, a very like much more universal style of college football. Is Am I crazy thinking like Way? No, not at all. Because if you look at where the Big 12 is this year or where it's been the past couple of years, it's kind of been defined, Texas cover your ears and Oklahoma cover your ears, by some really interesting good defenses, right? That the Big 12 traditionally, oh, we're going to throw it around. We've got all these receivers and Texas and Baylor and Texas Tech and uh, TCU. And really, it's been, you know, Dave Aranda coming in, John Haycock at Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Jim Knowles. Like, it's come to be defined by something that kind of flips the script on what the typical narrative is. And so where the Pac-12 has been recently, it's been a conference that has hired some not-so-good head coaches. And traditionally speaking, we have these like guys who have stuck around forever. If you look at you know how long Pete Carroll was there, or Mike Bellotti, or before that, you know Jim Moore was there for a while, and solid offenses, dependable quarterbacks who would you know transform into starting or backup NFL quarterbacks. And now we see that recruiting is everything everywhere and if you want to win games you can't do it by winning shootouts week in and week out so Oregon going after Dan Lanning UCLA going after Chip Kelly and saying okay this is we are spending the money that we have on head coaches up oh, more panels are falling down this is crazy this is wild I don't know what I'm saying um and then you know uh, Arizona thinking they did something great in hiring Kevin Sumlin but you never really want to hire a guy on the way down that's that's a little bit scary to me. Um, and so the Pac-12 is in an interesting transitionary place. Those Washington teams are really good, led by defense. Led by defense. Like, it's one of those things where I think people are sort of catching up. People are able to brand themselves in a in a more national way to attract more national talent that, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And with the SEC catching up offensively, it's really difficult to define a conference by any one thing. Because if you look around the sport and with how big conferences have gotten, you're going to get four great offenses, four great defenses, four teams that are so-so at everything. And I don't know if it's a good thing. I like defining conferences. I like the differences that we used to have. But at the same time, everybody seems to be getting better and spreading around the talent. You know, guys who were playing receiver before are playing safety. Guys who, you know, are playing offensive tackle maybe are playing tight end now. And we're just, we're getting a little bit more variety on both sides of the ball which is probably a net-net good thing. 
it's definitely made things more interesting, but you're right. Even you could go down on an even more micro level to individual programs that used to be defined by one specific identity. And that to me is interesting with the Pac-12 when you maybe use a program like Stanford as a stand-in in that conversation. For so long, whether it was Jim Harbaugh into David Shaw, there was a clear identity of you were going to get a bunch of tight ends and fullbacks, a defense full of vicious off-ball linebackers, and a style of football that was usually going to have you hitting the ice tubs multiple times at the early portion of that next week. It has gotten bad in a hurry around there. You mentioned a couple other programs, Arizona trying to figure out who they can be. Carl Durrell in Colorado trying to figure out that same sort of question of identity. So as you look at this upcoming season, I call it kind of the hump teams, teams that have whatever their perceived barrier is. And that could be Oregon State on the top end of things. It could be UCLA after last year. Is there a team that you think is ready to kind of burst through whatever their ceiling's been here in recent memory? Man, I don't know, because all of those teams you mentioned are pretty flawed. Like, Oregon State runs the hell out of the ball, and we know Jonathan Smith coaches quarterbacks really well. They don't have anybody on defense. I mean, the secondary might be all right, but they really don't have guys. Stanford has taken such a huge step back on both sides of the ball that they're at least the team that you can hold out hope for, kind of, because they've recruited pretty well on both sides of the ball. But there is something that seems to be a little bit stubborn about the way David Shaw operates atop that Stanford program, because I don't think it's the what with Stanford. I don't think there's anything wrong with building your team around that power rushing identity with having a bunch of tight ends and throwing it up to tall receivers and, you know, bashing teams with, you know, uh, Bryce Love or Tyler Toby Gaff, any of these guys. The problem is, yeah, exactly. Toby Garrett. The problem is the how. The problem is teams sort of figured out, okay, this is who David Shaw is as an offensive mind. And, I mean, just down the road, you can see what the 49ers are doing in the NFL. They're running the hell out of the ball creatively. Stanford's trying to run the hell out of the ball without a lot of creativity. That's the problem is there's a certain amount of stay the course to David Shaw and Stanford that had them as arguably the least efficient offense relative to talent last year in the nation. Um, the Arizona thing is fascinating to me. I, I sort of mentioned it a little bit, but like they're, they're a program that always was able to find like the weirdly speedy, small three-star guy from Southern California. And then recruiting totally fell off under Kevin Sumlin, and they couldn't find quarterbacks. They couldn't develop anything anywhere. And I think they're getting back to an interesting place, but they're pretty flawed everywhere. So in terms of a team taking that next step, I'd probably say Washington State. They're interesting, at least to me, that they are old enough right now, and I think there's buy-in with Jackson Dickert, and there are no expectations. You know, They go to a bowl last year. I think they lost to, they lose to Central Michigan. That they're a team that can very quietly go seven and five or eight and four, with which I guess in the shadow of everything that happened uh, last year with the head coaching position, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty good. You blow out your rival to end the season. You pick off their quarterback of the future four times. I think there's quietly a good amount of momentum in Pullman. You're so right. Just the benefit of having eyes look away after mm -hmm. they had been there for all the wrong reasons last year can be such a huge lift to a program that seems bought in to the guy that is leading the charge right now. Uh, before we get to who you actually think is going to win this conference, I do want to look in the bottom. We mentioned some names, but any hot seat conversation in the Pac-12 seems to start and end with what's going on in the desert with Arizona State. Herm Edwards and that program 
unprecedented turnover, whether it is the roster, the coaching staff, still ongoing NCAA allegations into some recruiting violations from now, I think, two summers ago during the pandemic. So where does this program sit, and is there any salvaging this for Herm and the Sun Devils? It's not looking great. It's not looking great. The exodus of coaches, both on ASU's behalf and coaches who've decided to go elsewhere, and then the exodus of players with guys, you know, Jaden Daniels being the biggest profile player of the of the roster heading to LSU, but losing receivers and linebackers, guys all over the country just taking off from ASU. And it's just bad. It's just it's one of those things where it's hard to to paint a picture of a successful ASU season, which is weird because ASU should win eight games every year. This is they're in a great place and it's in a big city that cares about sports, the proximity to Southern California. It's a brand that's known for winning. Like, say what you will about, you know, Todd Graham or whatever. The guy won a bunch of games for ASU, took him to a Pac-12 championship game. So ASU is absolutely a place that somebody should win consistently at. But it's just, you know, it's it's sort of an end of the day, John Jimmy's and Joe's kind of thing for ASU where they don't have those guys. They had that identity for year over year, finding that next big quarterback, you know, who could bomb the ball downfield, Rudy Carpenter and Sam Keller and all of these guys, Mike Berkovici, but they just don't have those guys. I hope it works out for Emory Jones because he seemed like he got kind of pushed out at Florida after winning a couple of big games. I just I don't see it with ASU. It's, it's Right now it's a question of where do they go next? Can they weather whatever punishment they receive? Because it just seemed that they didn't know how to play the game. Whatever you want to say about Herm Edwards, Herm Edwards is a totally good football coach. Is he a college football coach? Is he a college football figurehead? Did he sort of trust the program to somebody who could say, here's how you operate a day-to-day thing? Not, it didn't seem like he did a great job of that. Like there is, On a certain level, you have to understand the rhythms of a winning college football program in 2020, 2021, or whatever. And just Herm wasn't that guy. And I appreciate the effort, but it just... It seems like we all know where this is heading. I mean, you mentioned that the Pac-12 is suffering from a couple bad coaching hires. And I remember when Herbert Edwards got there and there was a lot of excitement. But what you said earlier, you never want to hire a coach on the way down, right. reminded me of, of what's, going, what's going on there. But is there any reason why a, a young coach would want to take over the ASU job next year? Yeah, absolutely. There are going to be no expectations if they're hit with sanctions and their roster isn't great. It's a good place to live. It's a state in which there is a bunch of local talent. We've seen, you know, what Bijan Robinson is doing at Texas, Keely Ringo at Georgia. Is it going to be hard to keep them home at ASU? Yeah, it absolutely is. But it's a state that is not devoid of talent. You have the proximity to LA. You can go after kids who, you know, don't necessarily want to play in the cold of the Midwest or whatever. It's a good destination in the portal era. If you're playing in a cold place, if you're playing in Bloomington, Indiana, if you're playing in Pullman, Washington, and you have the opportunity to visit Arizona State, see what it's like to be an Arizona State student. There are worse destinations than Tempe, Arizona. So yes, I think that the uncertainty of what the Pac-12's future is, sure, that absolutely plays a role in it. I think ASU is going to land if the, if the Pac-12 falls, af- falls apart, they're going to be a Big 12 team. That's what it seems like it's going to be the reality. So, yeah, it's it's not a hopeless place. It's not Kansas. It's not Rutgers. It's not where Oregon State was. It's not far away from an interstate like Wazoo. Arizona State's a really good job with really interesting upside. I just think the Herm Edwards era has set them back a couple of years. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's a fascinating way to look at so much of how team building has a chance to change because they came in with that very clear CEO mentality. We're going to run this thing like an NFL operation. They were at sort of a a nexus point where recruiting changed very quickly underneath them as they were doing some things that maybe were not above board, especially in the old world. But as we look out around a college football world where we're seeing more teams shift a focus to the portal or how they operate in this new world order, I think they're a fascinating team to kind of keep in mind from what we saw in these last couple of seasons. Um, Dan, getting towards the top as we get close to the end here and take a look at the schedule and, and the favorites. You mentioned... Utah is the team that on field, based on what we've seen, should be the favorite in this conference. Cam Rising coming back. We know how stable the identity has been under Kyle Whittingham. Is this a team that, before that USC engine gets up and running fully, can be a legitimate playoff contender this season? Yes. Yes, absolutely. My my formula is generally quarterback and defense. And everything else, obviously offensive line, goes into how successful a quarterback can be. Receiver. If you have a quarterback and you have a defense, which I'm a big believer in both of those things for the Utes, you are squarely in that conversation. And the teams that we're having those conversations about right now generally fit that mold, that combination of quarterback and defense. They likely have the best corner in the country. Losing Devin Lloyd certainly hurts because you need that star power up front on defense. And I think they're really good dudes for Utah up front, but star power is, is a big deal there. But I don't know who's taking advantage week in and week out, really. They open with a Florida team with a new coach. Obviously, I think they host USC maybe a week after traveling to UCLA. There's just not a lot that scares me about Utah's schedule with where they are right now. The big difference to me with Utah is, one, do they have a game-changer at receiver to stretch the field and just give safeties and defensive coordinators something to think about with this Utah offense? At times, it seemed like they did last year. But it was much more deliberate, you know, counting on running backs, hitting tight ends in play action. They have a, a, a tight end duo that's very, very good. And then two, it's this is the first time they're truly the hunted. This is the first time where we're not saying in August, don't sleep on Kyle Whittingham. Nobody's sleeping on Kyle Whittingham in Utah. They're squarely in this conversation. And is there that pressure thing? Is there that letdown thing between two big games? You know, they travel to Autzen late in the season. And look, they kicked Oregon's ass twice to end the year last year they shouldn't be scared but they're the hunted Oregon was in that position as a defending champ Oregon was in that position you know with the recruits with the flash nationally now it's Utah Utah is finally in that conversation and it's how do they respond week in and week out how do they maintain that focus when they are the favorite they are the guys that's fascinating to me Preseason, and I think what you brought up about last season and those matchups with Oregon matter as far as inertia for a program that is in this spot for the first time, where now you start off with a preseason top 10 ranking in the AP poll. You open up on the road with one of those litmus test games that you mentioned has traditionally tanked a lot of Pac-12 seasons when you lose that out-of-conference matchup 
week one in good position to go on the road and do that, banking all that goodwill from showing everyone that Oregon team you love so much got force-fed into the wood chipper that was our mm-hmm. team, and we spit them out in pieces on the other side. So, yeah, Cam Rising, also one of the most interesting quarterbacks, I, I think, in college football just because a little more athletic than you would probably give him credit for looking at him, an arm that accuracy-wise can be a little erratic at times, but a big knack for some big-time throws, and just seems to have that, for lack of a better term, shit to him that you kind of want a quarterback of a team that's looking to make that jump. So I think Utah is really interesting going into this season, and that's a good segue. We mentioned that game. I always think that the tasting menu – that we can have going into a season for some of the games, especially those out-of-conference matchups that show up and give us that idea of what each conference is looking like year to year. So starting out-of-conference, Dan, as you look at the slate for the Pac-12 this year, we mentioned Oregon-Georgia, Utah-Florida, Oregon playing BYU, Washington and Michigan State. Is there a game this year that you think has the chance to be that you know hat-hanging game for the Pac-12? So I'm, I'm going to claim to be high on Wazoo, so I'm going to say Camp Randall in Wisconsin hosting the Cougs in Week 2 is fascinating to me because Wisconsin's still sort of looking for evolution on offense, hire a new offensive coordinator in, um, oh, God, what's his name, uh, from the Ravens, the tight ends coach from last year, totally blanking on Bobby Ingram, there it is. Um, yes. Arizona's September is fascinating to me. San Diego State, Mississippi State, North Dakota State, as I look at their schedule in front of me fascinating there's there's so many opportunities like i don't know who notre dame has before and after cal but cal's defense and tyler buckner and we'll see what we get you you can speak to that a little bit more but justin wilcox whatever he can't figure out about offense he seems to figure out every year mm-hmm. with defense and if you talk to offensive coordinators in the pac-12 it's justin wilcox makes quarterbacks think for an extra second and a half and that is infuriating to those quarterbacks and offensive coordinators and so I don't, I don't know what Cal's ceiling is because they're counting on Jack Plummer at quarterback who sort of was up and down there. Um, USC, Fresno State. We saw Fresno go and beat UCLA last year. And, yeah. you know, USC is going to get a ton of attention. But Jeff Tedford's a real-ass coach. Jake Hayner's a real-ass quarterback. Jalen Topper, the cropper, is a real receiver. So, like, I'm, I'm fascinated by a lot. Like, the Pac-12's early schedule, aside from, you know, Utah, Florida, Oregon, Georgia being the headliners – it's incredible. It really like the matchups are line up really, really nicely for the Pac-12. If they can win a couple of these interesting games, man, I don't know. I don't know if they can. But the, the I'm one I watch have circled is in the back half of the season. And anytime Notre Dame ends the season with USC, it's a special year for both programs because there's a lot of respect on both sides. But this year in particular, with Marcus Freeman's first year, like everyone, the Ohio State mm-hmm. game, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this this USC game could mean something for both programs at a very important time. Could you wax poetic about how sexy that matchup is? All depends on Tyler Buckner. All depends on what they look like at receiver. And if there's a criticism of where Notre Dame has been these past few years is good quarterback play, not necessarily great quarterback play in the biggest moments. Who who is changing the game at receiver for Notre? Have they had a guy since Chase Claypool? Who you're like, this is star power at receiver for Notre Dame. Maybe, Mike, you you say yes. Maybe you say no. I don't know. It just hasn't seemed like that guy has consistently popped for Notre Dame. And if we're believers in USC scoring a good amount of points, to me it's a question of Notre Dame 
getting their act together on offense. You know, I, I see the big narrative. It's, it's Tommy Reese unencumbered. Like This was one of the worst rushing attacks the first two-thirds of the season in the country for Notre Dame, which is weird, which is weird for Notre Dame given the number of offensive linemen that have come out of South Bend and been great in the NFL. Zach Martin, and Mike McGlinchey, uh, Quentin Nelson, Mike Golick <laughs> Jr. You, the list goes on and on of these game-changing bodies at the next level. Um, no, it, it to me is how quickly can Notre Dame figure out what it wants to be on offense? Because I think there's defensive talent there year in and year out. Uh, it seems like that's going to be the case again this year. And I think Notre Dame's in a better position than USC because of what they look like along both of those lines. But there's there's a wild card element to it of is Tyler Buckner a quarterback who you can say, if we need 38, he can help lead us to 38 points. That's That's a crazy open question to me at this moment. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the one thing Notre Dame fans have to look forward to is you mentioned that offensive line that was ravaged by injury. And listen, Mm -hmm. Jeff Quinn, who was the offensive line coach, there's a very good college offensive line coach. Harry Heastan, who was there and is back now, is I think the best offensive line coach in college football and one of the best offensive position coaches in college football we've seen in the last two decades. A legitimate program changer that's back in South Bend, which is going to help, but you're right. It is quarterback and what happens at wide receiver. They're down a captain in Avery Davis already. Lorenzo Styles, there's a lot of hope there, but that's still a very young player who in limited action showed some promise, but it is far from a certain product there versus what you're going to see on the other side with Southern Cal, who's got answers to the test at both those positions. So fascinating to look at that one and certainly... Again, a welcome trip to Southern California, as always, to go and, you know, stay at the Ritz-Carlton and Marina Del Rey and get for the in guys and out. in South Bend, if nothing else. <laughs> By get the way, burger after the game. interesting year for big-time defensive coordinators becoming head coaches and bringing in very familiar but not necessarily successful defensive minds to help run their new defense with Marcus Freeman and Al Golden, Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy, uh, Brent Venables and Ted Roof, like th- that sort of push pull of trusting a guy who has struggled at times to do what you're asking him to do as somebody who has been recently great is kind of a fascinating relationship at these huge places. It's a fascinating dynamic of guys trying to balance some of that veteran experience to help them in the early portion of being the head football coach. But also, yeah, marriage of philosophies is going to be really, really interesting Mm -hmm. for all parties involved to watch on that one. A lot of super interesting in the nitty gritty uh, for college football on the field at those spots this season. Uh, Dan, let's finish up. Uh, Favorite matchup in the conference this season as you look out there. A couple of pop right away as far as especially business in the Pac-12 South, but I'll give you the floor. Uh, Utah, Oregon, and Autzen is going to be incredible. I don't know if you've either one of you have been to a game at Autzen Stadium. It is an electric place for a huge game. These past you know, 15, 20 years as Oregon's been really good, it's a revenge spot for Oregon. If they are a good team, the question of whether we not get whether or not we get good or bad Bo Nix, I think is going to be incredible. If Oregon is really good by that point of the year, which I think they're going to be good. I don't know how good. Um, Utah USC, Rice Eccles is another one of those stadiums that I think qualifies as just kind of a hornet's nest, one of my favorite phrases, but that place gets after it for huge games. It's at altitude, which I think is more important than it gets credit for because as somebody who has wheezed and has had asthma, I feel for guys who all of a sudden are playing in a place that makes it more difficult to breathe. That seems meaningful to me. Um, 
Otherwise, ah, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of games that really popped to me. I mentioned Washington State, Wisconsin, but I, it, within the conference itself, I think the Ac- Apple Cup will be great. I think. I don't know who travels to Arizona this year. I can pull it up in front of me. Um, it seems UCLA, Utah, Washington. So like Washington in Tucson or UCLA in Tucson. Again, this is me going back to my my Oregon DNA. The desert at night is a place where hopes go to die. That's mm. There's just something about the Sonoran Desert and a night game. It's like weirdly cold as you get into the year. That to me is is the fascinating thing to watch. That somebody really good is going to go down in Tucson. So, I think those are my picks. I love the thought of Tucson back as a uh, Pac-12 chaos agent. Every conference needs someone Same. who's going to go out there and potentially ruin everyone's lives and seasons. Let U of A bear down and do that for this great nation that needs that in this Pac-12 season. <laughs> because like we said, the Pac-12 in a bit of a fragile state right now, maybe psyche-wise, we want to make sure this is a fun experience because as we just described, there's a lot of really interesting going on in this conference to start off this season. And uh, Dan, we can't thank you enough for helping us preview that. I hope no more of the tiles fall off your wall. Everyone, <laughs> obviously check out Dan and Ty and the Solid Verbal, one of the best college football podcasts in the business. We appreciate the time, my friend. My pleasure. And anytime you are in the North Shore of Chicago, the backyard has pizza and a lot of it. Man, that's the one thing I do have on the list for this season is I am begging <laughs> whoever will listen. I've never thought I'd say this. Begging anyone who will listen to find me with a Northwestern game just so I can go and have the experience yep. eating pizza in Dan's backyard. You have already been one of my food shepherds as I've made the move to Southern California. Mm-hmm. I've checked great white and blueies off the list, so you have done a good job in leading me to nice. great Nice. What'd you think? Those. Really, really Those were rock good? solid. Yes, fantastic. Nice. Love it. Love to hear it.